0: Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcasts.
1: G'day and welcome to a... Oh, wait, am I recording? Yep, (laughs) To a doubly killer edition of Thrash and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast where Calamity Jane shoots Kid Rock, then stores the body in the saloon attic. And speaking of lunatic... I'm Aaron, and I'm joined, as usual, by the beloved star of Stage and Cinnamon. We loved him in Brody to Rumble, That Thing You Do, and his Oscar-nominated turn in Crescenti Mame. It's Evan the Metal Man. How you doing?
2: (laughs) They're getting worse.
1: Wait, there's more. There's more. The Shawshank Redemption, (laughs) Begetting Even with Dad, and Needful Things. Oh, Stop disparaging my favourite author. Why not? So there's, I've got more puns. Mm-hmm. Snow falling on sesame cedars. <laughs> Peter Panetta. <laughs> Dough girls. Oh, yeah. The tricks.
2: <laughs> oh, that's a
1: stretch. Chicken bun. Driving Miss Pastry. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeaster parade.
2: Yeaster parade. Oh, yeah.
1: Flower for Algonon. No, that went over my head. Instead of flowers, flour, muffin to lose, (laughs) pies world, the movie, (laughs) loaf soldier, it's meant to be lone soldier, (laughs) the sandwiches of Eastwick, (laughs) the Muppets, bake Manhattan, oh
2: Jesus,
1: bread of roses, (laughs) love, volivant, compassion.
2: You have way too much time on your hands. Seriously. (laughs) That time was
1: dedicated to planning and writing those jokes. All right, just give me one I'm going to take the phone out and we'll do the guess what. Oh, God. Yeah.
2: Honestly, I don't know how you do it. I don't have that writing bug. Dog, out.
1: Anyways, guess what? What? I got a puppy. Uh... Oh, my God. (laughs) I got a puppy. Look at her.
2: If you want it in the same pitch, I think it went, oh, my God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I hope you were recording. I was recording. It was up there. Yeah. Oh, what is he? It's a little girl. It's a three-month-old Border Collie. Oh, nice. They are great dogs.
2: Yeah. They're smart, loyal, good guard dogs.
1: Yes. Look at her. Look at her. I'm so in love. (laughs) I could cry. I'm so happy. And you they finally there. read the shopping list. Yeah. I got We got her <laughs> on Tuesday, Evan. Oh, I missed it. But she was so noisy that if you had come in, it would have been ruined. Yeah. Whereas this time I got to do it when she was sleeping and bring her in and look at her. Oh, that is awesome. Uh, name. What's the, what's the name? Well, they want to name her Bella, but that's from Twilight. Oh, yes. Um, surely, there's other Bellas. Yeah, there's plenty. Beauty and the Beast was Bella. Belle.
2: So that's Belle. probably. Uh, I was close. What so we're, we're going to go with? My Disney knowledge is not what it
1: could be. Yeah, but um, since I haven't seen it, <laughs> any of them. Well, we think it's Belle. I want to call her Angel. Um... <laughs> oh, you don't like that name? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um... she's gonna make. She's gonna make uh, recording fun yeah just well i'll tell you that just let me put her out all right before she pisses in my room hang
2: on <laughs> yeah it's gonna make recording
1: fun Alrighty, that's that done and that's done and i have doggy slobber <laughs> all over me and anya the cat is freaking out of course oh oh no <laughs> yeah that that can be 50 50 um yeah oh she's all right she's you never just, know you never know she's not happy
2: Like, yeah, we did the other way around. We've introduced a kitten to dogs and they were fine. The dogs were old enough to sort of go, oh, yeah, it's just a cat. And then the cat trusts them and they sleep together. Um, The other way around, yeah, the cat can go, what is this fucking
1: stupid thing trying to play with me? How old's the cat? In my territory. Uh, She's pretty old now. We've had her for a while and we got her when she was growing. So because she was rescued. It's up to whether she puts up with a puppy's bullshit yeah we get rescue pets but anyways guess what what hang on let me just get my breath back <laughs> you're like that was a terrible <laughs> what what are you, you no no hang on i'm talking? just i'm out of breath five words or less how was tommy we had to cancel unfortunately oh what what do you mean i know i know and then tonight's performance for them got cancelled as well it's a long story far too long for the amount of time we've got i'm devastated however i have tickets to harry potter and the cursed child for thursday and friday for the two-part edition because i'm gonna get to see in that two-part for crying out loud if it kills me which is probably going to because of covid you would have got your license and then run over your own children to get to that show yeah i know tell me about it (laughs) And now because of that, you've excited me. Anyways, guess what? What? How many fingers am I holding up? Three. Two. Because that's how many West End divas are up in the record store today. So hopefully one of them is here to stop the metal beat. And that's looking attainable since this adorably bubbly couple spells double trouble for muggles left befuddled by the juggler lumps and rubble puddles caused by vulnerable, subtle and supple fundamental stage tools juggled by these apples of the British Isles. Whilst they tear down the house, kinky boots... Oh, and despite the decades delivering dozens of dynamite duos such as Batman and Robin, Shirley and Chops, and of course, myself and my former co-host Gareth. <laughs> well, time <laughs> after time, this toast of the town talented twosome has treated ticket holders to truly transcending and transcendingly truthful theatrics that halter twit in his tracks whilst letting their true colours shine through. Like how one of our groovy guests, Go, 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 Go to Joseph, in his amazing Technicolor dream coat, which wasn't the Santa suit he wore while putting the sassy bick in Assassins nor was it his rock and leather jacket for the School of Rock in his West End debut, rendering this techno-bearded dreamboat the perfect yin to the yang of our second gorgeous guest's grand ascension when her Mrs Wilkinson and Billy Elliot was too, too good to ignore, granting this gorgeous gal the grace and gateway to hit the ground running away from mummies when an ancient Egyptian degree helped Queen Bey become fancy in becoming Nancy which bred a menagerie of dinos, chickens and three little piggies, which caused them to bake on the summery Melbourne stage, just like me right now. And whilst their 2020 debut on the West End stage was screwed by COVID, the month of Christmas past got her scrooged by a Christmas carol at the Dominion, only to eventually hold dominion over Baltimore when this honey hustled her way into hearts as the head of hair hoppers in the hit revival of Hairspray before being harassed again by Heather, Heather and Heather in today's big fun musical, so we're fucking the 60s off gently with a chainsaw as we welcome to the torture chamber with two fashionably Aussie g'days and how's it goings to this perfect pair who strutted across the UK in an even perfecter pair of kinky boots, which sent us all in a tizzy B because we're joined by those crazy kids, the awesome Alfie Parker and London's latest leading lady, Lizzie B. Welcome to the torture chamber. How's it going? I'm going to die.
3: Ooh, that was amazing that was amazing
0: that That was that's impressive thank you so much that is um it's now all (laughs) over
1: my bed so please don't ask me to repeat any of that (laughs) because I have no idea where that was nor where my review is but how are you guys going thank you so much for joining us
3: we're very good thank you how are you
1: yep I'm um as I say I'm dying it's summer here and I know um Lizzie you did the three little pigs here in January I did which it's Melbourne it's just dry and ugh, and I'm in this room so yes now otherwise I'm good so (laughs) welcome to the torture chamber apparently I'm the only one being tortured so how has life been for the past two years it's been ups and downs obviously
3: it has yeah it's been interesting Mm -hmm. I mean things like eventually went to plan but there was like a couple of months where it was quite bleak we're very lucky that we you know live together and we're both performers so we could at least go through it together and understand what each other was going through and we've come out the other end of it and we're still here so it's all good how was it for you guys
2: I I get publicly (laughs) shamed if I talk about it I I was actually gonna gonna say like having both you know both breadwinners in the household both being shut down at the same time. That's, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's bad enough when one of us is down sick, you know, we both have, you know, we both work.
3: I mean, the worst thing about yeah. it was that Alfie finished Joseph on the 1st of March. And I started rehearsals for Hairspray the day after. So Alfie was like, I'll have a night two weeks off. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. and then the pandemic happened.
0: Yeah, I I, I, re- I remember saying, I was like, oh, I because I've, I've been quite busy. I was like, oh, I really fancy a little break. And then COVID happens. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, you get what you wish for. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I asked for a little break and then yeah, two years later.
1: <laughs> mm
3: hmm.
0: Yeah, that's
1: funny, because um, quite a few times in, in 2020, I'd have, like, appointments to something, and I'd be like, oh, I don't want to go. I'd hope we go back into lockdown just to be a bitch. Like, I didn't really want <laughs> it to happen, and two days later, lockdowns would be called. It happened three times, and every time I was kicking myself, because I should have just gone <laughs> to the freaking appointment, shouldn't I? Anyway, so we're going to move on. So um, we're going to move on to the medal. Yes. Oh, the first question was, may I nap now? But we've moved on from that. Now, (laughs) if you guys were rock stars, what would be in your craziest, most over the top dream rider?
3: I mean, I feel like we'd both definitely want our dog with us at all times because she is basically our entire life. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I think maybe she'd have to be, like, part of the act. What do you think, Alfie?
0: Yeah, 100%. I think I I like glam rock, so I I, I can imagine my my dog in kind of, like, leopard print trousers. That's what I want.
3: Yeah, and maybe, like, some nice, like, heeled boots.
0: Absolutely.
3: I think she'd look really good. I don't know what like crazy thing I'd have. We're not we're not really like crazy people. We're quite boring to be honest. Makes <laughs> us sound well boring, <laughs> not
0: it? We'd want our dog with us. <laughs> you don't just want your dog
1: with you, you want your dog in platformed heels, which is much further than water or parking or good yeah. security. So it's um
0: <laughs> a little bit crazier,
1: but sadly not yet. A goat. One day, somebody will want that in their rider, and I will probably quit after that happens. Uh, But anyway,s we will move on to the metal. Have you guys had any experience with heavy metal? I know, Alfie, you just said you're into glam rock. Yeah,
0: I do, and I don't. I I guess I I love eighties rock. I love that kind of that kind of vibe. I wish I could pull off a mullet and you know and be that. And unfortunately, I definitely don't have the hair for it. But Heavy metal is something I've not really explored. I want to be really boring and say, I like Metallica. It's probably the most boring answer in the world, right? Yep.
1: We can hear our listeners <laughs> yeah. switching off already.
0: Yeah. Yeah. God, another one says yeah. Metallica, don't they? Yep. Switch that straight off. So yeah, it's, just, it's something I'm not not too familiar with. Yep. Cool. What about yourself, Lizzie?
3: So my brother loves metal music. Yep. And he definitely, as a teenager, yeah. listened to it. 24-7 which I think unfortunately meant that I sort of decided that I didn't like it very early on because you mm-hmm. liked it <laughs> but do you know what Alfie and I actually both really like relished the opportunity to listen to music that we wouldn't normally listen to yeah. we're both like quite nerdy in that way and mm. it's like a really cool Thing to do that we would never normally listen to
1: mm, yeah that's so why we're finding that's the other thing we hear a lot is that people's brothers listened to heavy metal growing up that's i think we've heard that three or four times now yeah um but that's sort of that's what we love about this show is that people are exploring these different genres even myself i have to do it every week evan's done it for half of those episodes but
2: yeah and there's no way in hell I would, on a normal week, you know, put Assassins the Thank Musical you. on, you know, just to listen to. Don't you dare put it on until we do it in the show. I know. I can't yet. We haven't done it yet. But you know what I mean? Yes. It's it's nice. I related it the other week to um, The Resurgence of Vinyl, where you get to put a full album on and listen to you the did. whole album because we've, we've lost that with, with streaming yeah. and MP3s and radio. And, God, we put... Just a random one, uh, Michael Jackson's, oh, shit, Thriller, Off the Wall, Invincible, the hell's it called? Invincible. Yeah. Good God, that's good. It Just the whole thing, start to finish, is amazing.
3: Yeah, we listen to vinyl quite a lot. My favourite album to listen to on vinyl is Frank by Amy Winehouse. It's one of my favourite albums in the entire world. And I feel like that's one of those albums, like you have to listen to it on vinyl because it just doesn't sound the same. Otherwise actually after three little pigs after my first ever job i bought myself a record player because that was like what i wanted to treat myself to so we listened to vinyl all the time we love it
2: nice yeah yeah it's something different it's just you know we sit there and chuck albums on and, and play chess
1: you know that's so cute and get annoyed that i have to turn it over but oh well
3: <laughs> yeah that's the only <laughs> annoying thing i guess yeah <laughs> am i the
1: only non-nerd in this conversation <laughs> He says, says he sits next door. He's Aladdin pillow.
3: <laughs> oh, by the way,
1: I don't know if you noticed, Lizzie. I love
3: it. I, of course, I noticed.
1: Yeah. Um, I got that when it came out on DVD. So when was that 2008 or something? Yeah. For those at home, where Evan changes up the game on the arcade every week. And last week with Daniel Franzese, he had the Mean Girls game playing on the machine, which is kind of cool, even though it was a YouTube video. But every week I'm going to be changing up the movie poster. So last week the poster was Coyote Ugly because I figured we've got an LGBTQ plus guest. I'm going to get a really gay film and put that on the wall (laughs) I found my hairspray poster I was looking for Romy Michelle that's how I found that one why I'm doing this really because I just want to find my Romy Michelle poster that's all I want anyways
3: I love it my sister definitely had that poster in her bedroom growing up I remember it vividly yeah so we were big hairspray the movie fans growing up
1: I I loved it I love the the original John Waters one Uh, it isn't about hairspray just yet (laughs) <laughs> I, I do have at least one question about that. I'm, I'm not sure if Evan does, but it's a big stretch this week. I couldn't find, you know, a
2: Heather's Arcade machine with Alice or Chains. So Alice in Wonderland. No, uh, you've got Gold Axe too, which came out the same year as Heather's. That'll do.
3: Alfie will love this because Alfie's very big into his games. But I, yeah, it's, it's like the
0: first thing I saw. Sorry, Aaron. Yeah, no, no,
1: that's fine. <laughs> I was like, whoa,
0: I am jealous, very jealous of that. Yeah, he
1: made it too. <laughs> that whole machine. You made it? Yeah, I built it, yeah.
0: Wow. It took about seven months. It was worth it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyways, this week you chose an album called Dirt, I believe. So I'm going to quickly run through my my cover, my review. When I first saw the cover, I tried to withhold my excitement. No, really. I've heard of Alison before, but never heard her music. So I pressed the old spotify to begin and turns out Alison Chains is a dude. So cautiously, I continue to dive into this familiar, but not familiar band. And after my 15th or so listen, I felt dirty so much so that I needed a shower just to wash away the sleaze, which most often has been a cheeky get me tits out kind of sleaze. But this felt more like the mid 90s doing coke off my tits whilst collecting illegal samurai swords, (laughs) that kind of sleaze. I'm all in four stars. Four Yeah, this was The Crow I knew I'd finally find something you'd like This was The Crow This was that sound that was in The Crow I don't even know if they were on the Hmm. soundtrack I meant to look that up No, no But I do know Alice in Chains from Terminator Salvation Oh, that's the t-shirt I could have worn I wore uh, my Ferris Bueller t-shirt, but I could have worn my Terminator Salvation. Why does anyone have a Terminator Salvation t-shirt? I don't know. Yeah. And I know them from Burnout Paradise, that game. So yeah, I quite liked this. This was eclectic and it was dark, but it was also melodic. The voice, is singing, I don't, I don't know. And I've heard maybe better, stronger vocals from people, but that's, that's where they lost a star. But yeah, no, I, I kind of really liked this.
3: Well, well, good.
1: But yeah, of course, yeah, this
2: is Alice and Chains. This is their second album, uh, Dirt, which they released in 1992. Yeah. Has eventually sold like 5 million copies. It's it's done really well. Um, this was the
1: last recording of their original lineup. Yeah, for like 14 years. They didn't record anything for 14 years. There was no yeah, album that's releases.
2: because Lane
1: Staley died. Yeah, he died in 2002. Oh, well, I didn't know that, but that's why I wait for you to tell me these things before I put my foot in it. <laughs> well, it's a
2: lot. What this album is all about. A lot of this album is is about drugs, and because they're all effed up on drugs, especially Elaine Staley.
1: That's why I got the doing coke off me tits vibe. Yeah, you were spot on. <laughs> I was. That's that's. I was thinking of the villain from The Crow i was nodding along going that's exactly right that's what i was thinking yeah. of that that whole room when when and they dig out the eyeballs is it that is that that movie or down in little tokyo no that's the cutting off of the fingers yeah no the eyes are in the crow <laughs> okay but yeah
2: yes you're right you're right but yeah um the main driver of the band is a guy called jerry cantrell who's a guitarist he's you know he's the one who sort of held it all together and Yeah, they did these three albums. I think they did one more. Uh, Actually, this is their second album. There's EPs, which are really long. So they're kind of classed as albums nearly. But anyway, this is the last album with that lineup and the bass player left. And he has since died of heroin in 2011. They did one more album. Uh, Lane Staley was really heavily into heroin. You could see it.
1: You can hear it, yeah. You can hear it. I don't mean to make a joke of those things, by the way. I just want to put that out there. No,
2: no, you could. You could. And even the Jerry Cantrell has, has said since that, you know, you, yeah, that's what's going on. And you can hear it in his voice. So this was the sort of the key album that they got him. He he actually got himself sober for the recording of this. Uh, funnily enough, it was recorded in the middle of the LA riots, like the day of recording. That's um, Rodney King, riots. Yes, yes yeah like riots break out and like they go to the shop to get beer and there's people looting the shops <laughs> they ended up you know, like hoiking it out into the country for like
1: five days yes that should have been the first black lives matter movement i'm just gonna say that there anyway
2: <laughs> but yeah unfortunately he died he died in 2002 yeah well he left because he was just so messed up on drugs uh, for like about six years and and then yeah he did the unplugged and then yeah he died in 2002 the age of 34, of a a bloody drug overdose. Heroin takes another great... So he got past 27. Yeah, he got past 27, but not by a huge... Oh, you know 34 is bloody young
1: yeah that's like two years younger than me ever now i'm like so many of them it's just awful uh,
2: but yeah this is easily you know their best album and they had like five singles off it rooster you must have heard rooster before track six here they come to snuff the rooster
1: no i i'd heard the last one what was the last one called wood no the second last one that was wood which i'm just trying to find what whatever one was one. on at the end of- oh angry chair Yeah. Uh, Whichever one was at the end of Terminator Salvation. (laughs) That would have been wood. Yeah. Well, I would have thought it would be steel since it's Terminator. But okay. (laughs) Yeah. And whichever one was in Burnout Paradise. It featured in Singles. Sorry, there was a movie called Singles. Yeah, I've got that on DVD. That's Cameron Crowe. Yeah.
2: And that's got, I think that's got Pearl Jam and all sorts of those guys. You know, this is this is the 90s, early 90s Seattle.
1: Yeah, Seattle
2: grunge. Yeah, yeah with Soundgarden and Mother Love Bone and Green Screaming Trees and all those guys. They all, you know, everyone knew each other, that kind of thing. And I'm so glad at the time they were lumped into the grunge genre, but they're not. They're not grunge. They're half heavy, they're half folk, and if you really listen to it, like break down the chord progressions, uh, you know, they're just good old fashioned rock and roll, some of the songs, you know, even some 12 bar blues in there
1: that might be why I didn't
2: hate it. Yeah, because it's not grunge. It's not screamy metal. It's, I like
1: rock and roll.
2: Yeah, and there's there's a lot of good rock and roll in this. But, yeah, so they are still going. I have seen them live. I saw them. Um, damn, I was supposed to wear the shirt. Anyway, I've got the shirt where I saw them live. We
1: both did it. We're both hopeless oh, when well, <laughs> yeah. we do ADR. One of the
2: few times I've actually got the shirt and it's got Ellison Chains on the back. 2005 or six or something. I'm not sure when it was, but um, that was with the new singer and they've done the risky move of replacing the singer with someone who sounds exactly the same, which means other the favourites, you know, whenever they hit any of their singles, the crowd goes nuts because it sounds brilliant. I'm not sure about the newer stuff. I did listen nearly to the entire discography. I didn't get time to listen to a couple in the middle and you can tell it's a different guy with the newer stuff. But certainly when they play their favourites on stage, it's, so, it's such a faithful recreation. It's, it's excellent. It's, and he had such a unique voice to find someone who could sound the same. Um, and just on that voice, funnily enough, to get that whiny noise, he runs his voice through a pedal. Uh, and I, I did hear what guitar pedal it was. I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, this, this specific pedal, the, the microphone would literally just patch straight through. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've tried that before and you know, it's hit and miss. Sometimes it ends up sounding like
1: absolute garbage. And god, how much spare time do you have, Evan? <laughs> Sometimes- <laughs> well, we, used- we used to <laughs> sit around playing with freaking pedals and oh my god, yes,
2: we used to play in a band. God. Oh, are they- okay, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Around that's, with that's stuff true. like that. And you know, in the 90s, you don't have effects boards and computers and stuff. It's like, oh, what happens if I plug that into that? You know, no, I know, I know, yeah, anyway, but album's very close to my heart. I had this in ninety two. I don't have it
1: anymore. And I love it. And it's a I think it's a piece of musical history. Well, it gets my tick of approval. Job done. But does it get the guests' tick of approval? Well,
3: we're gonna feel awful now because unfortunately we both hated it.
1: That's fine.
3: That happens.
1: <laughs> it happens. It surprised me that I liked it. Let's just say that. <laughs>
3: Right. I think the thing is, I would just never, ever choose to listen to music like that. Yeah. But when I was listening to it, I was like, right, I'm going to try and listen to it and at least try and approach it in terms of not just being like, oh, I don't like it, I don't like it. So I did write some positive things down.
0: Yeah. Which
3: cool. is yeah. good. right.
2: Cool. Great. Great. Find the good.
3: Okay, so I said I actually think that a lot of the songs have really good storytelling in them and when I was trying to think of linking it to, because we're going to talk about musical theatre, I actually think that metal music would make a really good musical because all the songs tell stories it's not they don't sort of have that rhyming pattern kind of like verse chorus verse chorus bridge whatever the songs mean something don't they it's not just sort of I'm going to write a song for the sake of it I also thought that a lot of the songs had like really nice harmonies in them which I didn't Mm. necessarily expect which was really yeah. nice. Yeah, he's known for that. That was about it. I mean, there were some songs which I was like, oh my gosh, I can't cope with this at all. Like, it's just it's just a bit noisy for me. And there was one where I was like, it just reminded me of my brother wearing his like Iron Maiden t-shirts growing up. There's always some sort of we love the devil song, isn't there? I don't know, maybe it was wood that was a bit like... Yeah, we love the devil. I can't remember which one it was, but like I feel like that's something growing up I'd always say to my brother, like, oh, there's always songs like that, aren't there? And it just it just made me laugh because I feel like that was such a big part of my childhood, just actively trying to dislike this sort of music because my brother would listen to it all the time. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like Alfie probably liked it more than I did because he's listened to that sort of music before.
0: Yeah. I think the song you're talking about, was it called God Smack? Is that what it's called?
3: More than likely, yeah. Well, maybe. I can't remember which one it was. We
0: Love the Devil, God Smackers. Oh, I enjoyed it. It was okay. I'm very similar to Lizzie and I'll give, I'll give anything to go, music-wise, and I listened to it and I do agree that I feel like all of their songs told a story, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. I thought that was good and you never really knew where the song was going to go and for me, the song kind of had so many different sections in it a lot of the time I almost felt like that if I had put the album on from track one to track to the last track without any breaks in between the songs, I don't know where the songs would have started and finished. Do you know what I mean? I felt like it was it it, it could have been one really long song, the whole album. Oh You've,
1: you've, you've just solved it for me. This is has be my problem, Evan, lately, because I've got my settings on Spotify to be like seven seconds of overlap, so there is no breaks between songs.
2: It it should be f- it should be five seven's too long.
1: Shut up! Stop judging me. I like like a mega mix, so then all the songs start <laughs> beating. You know what I mean? Like,
3: Don't say mega mix; you'll trigger Alfie.
1: I know we talked about that <laughs> mega mix last week. Oh, sorry, I said it again. got M word last week because we did Joseph actually. So that's a great oh. segue. Funnily enough, and there's another, like all these episodes being connected up somehow just by themes and people and stuff. Anyway, sorry, we've completely gone off the rails there.
0: No, I got a favourite song out of it from the album, which is good. So clearly I enjoyed it to some extent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Otherwise I would have gone out, it's all all rubbish. But it it wasn't all rubbish. It really wasn't. Uh, Damn the River, I believe is what it's called, was my my standout. I enjoyed that and I thought it was clever. Like, uh, you know... I think he says in the song that he doesn't give a damn. And I like all of that. And I feel like in that sense as well, that is also very musical, you know, multiple meanings. And it was clearly it's been cleverly written. And I can appreciate that a lot of time has gone into it musicality wise. But for me, it was not my cup of tea. But I also I, I can totally see whether you say that you think it's a piece of history in music. Because once, you know, now I've heard you talking about it, it makes perfect sense.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But coming out of that time, I can see how that would have been so such an influence to a lot of other artists. Because it is good, very well structured and made. Yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, you're talking the same year as Nevermind, you know, Nirvana, when that hit. And it was just everyone's all descended on Seattle and, and uh, looking for, you know, more. We want more of an art, M- Nirvana and more Soundgarden, and, and And then, yeah, Alice in Chains sort of dropped this and th- they didn't really fit into any of the into the groups you know they'll were, they were touring with Megadeth who were you know way heavier than them yeah and then they're also touring with people like Van Halen Van Halen kept inviting them on tours because they love Alice and Chains so much they got booed a fair bit um just by being in the wrong venue you know
1: no. wow
3: I think it's interesting for us as well because like we were both born in 94 right right because my mum is like really into music like in a big way and and Alfie's mum actually they like very different music but we're both quite lucky that we've like grown up in households that love music yep. and my mum has always said like she says I just feel really sorry for your generation because you haven't really lived through a sort of style of music that's been huge at the time do you know what I mean like yeah so like my mum loves Motown for example and that's what I grew up listening to and you're sort of saying like this sort of music defined the early 90s and stuff of course we've had iconic bands and stuff like that and I guess like Britpop was a huge thing when we were growing up But I would never normally listen to this sort of music because I haven't sort of like lived through all the history of it and all that kind of thing. So Mm, it's really cool to hear you talk about it in that way, because I guess we don't really have something to relate to in terms of that kind of thing happening in our lifetime.
1: Yeah. Evan has that effect of making you feel bad about your feelings and your opinions (laughs) on the music because it comes in with all these deep dives and all this information. And here I am making jokes about doing cocaine off my tits. So I'm a guy, by the way. Like, I don't have that. But it's a joke, of course. And then he goes and says that. And now I'm sitting like, feel awful. But at least I gave it four stars.
2: Yeah, I'm really surprised with the four stars. So the same thing, you know, our parents went through the, um, or depending on their on their age, through the emergence of rock and roll, for God's sake, and disco, and there's, you know, that so many sort of musical revolutions every, you know, half a decade or so. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think grunge was one of the last. Unfortunately, we've run out of genres. Yeah. Now anything goes. Now it's just whatever. You know, you can find anything.
3: Yeah.
1: Oh no, that's actually a really sobering thought. <laughs> Oh, my God, that's a challenge to any musicians listening to this. I don't care what you play now. Please start inventing new genres for us because we've got hundreds and hundreds of years ahead of us for this species to live. I know. So... We don't want to be doing the same thing over and over again.
2: I have a, a running theory yeah. um, that we're we're actually going to run out of music as a race. One day, everything's going to be done. Every chord progression is going to be done. Yeah, there's only so many notes. Yes, there's only so many notes, and they can to be used in so many ways. Now it's a it's a big yeah uh, amount of ways, but as a race, one day we're going to run out.
1: Yeah, probably. Um, but anyways, it looks like we can wipe the dirt away now. <sighs> Fair enough Oh my god This is so mean to me we are going to go to an ad break (laughs) Uh, I try so hard Anyways You're listening to Thrash and Treasure You're not going to Sorry Evan Throw it in I was going to say You're not going to You're not going to Bury the album or anything Not going to Oh that was a We can bury that album Six feet under
0: This summer, winter, spring or fall, the first ever musical theatre sitcom, where you go behind the scenes of the latest West End show, The Fussy Forest
3: Ballet. Where's the important stuff? A-ha! A a pound a week, ensemble rate. Ah, that's what Mamma Mia likes.
0: Starring Philip Joel, and a West End cast featuring Carrie Alice, Darren Denny, Louise Demon and Oliver Savile, mm-hmm. and more.
3: It all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just, I I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. (gasps) Darling! How long have I been mentoring? you? Three months. Two years. So, her name is Henrietta. The horse. Yes. I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph only set the color dream code. I think more along the lines of Pent. Yeah,
0: frozen. You can watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com. Any and all profits go back to theatre charities, acting for others, and the theatre's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights.
3: Tight nights. Nice. Tight.
1: Anyways, you're listening to Thrash and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Evan and we are joined by the most gorgeous couple from the West End, Lizzie B and Alfie Parker. And I had a look when I was, you know, preparing this episode, obviously we've got to, you know, get a photo for the the poster and all that. And I typed in Alfie Parker and I realized that you're white (laughs) and most of the photos were of an African-American guy, an actor. That's
3: um, all the time.
1: I know same thing and I'm like do I roll with this and be a total bitch and in his introduction just put that guy's bio in the credentials then invite that guy onto the show and do that to him but no I didn't because I'm not mean well I am but and Lizzie B of course obviously who has just been in heathers at the other palace I have I'm still doing it Oh, you're still doing it now?
3: Still going. Still
1: doing it now? Yeah. Oh, it is too. Actually, I meant to, I have it (laughs) written down somewhere to ask you that before we start recording, (laughs) just so I wouldn't make that mistake, (laughs) but I did.
3: it's okay, it's not your fault. We've literally just extended until the 1st of May. So I will be there until the 1st of May.
1: Nice. I did know that. I did see that, yes. Um. So now, just before we move on to your thoughts, Eva, now a little fun fact for people at home related to last week's episode and two weeks before that with Amalie Golden, where we did Mean Girls the musical, which Mean Girls <gasps> the film, was directed by Mark Waters, whose brother is Daniel Waters, who wrote heathers yeah wow and we had daniel franzasi on the show last week so you know what i mean like there's all these weird connection things and we did joseph last week just by chance because daniel has these interesting theories about joseph and that story so that's sort of what just happened anyways now, I, I forgot to say last week, actually, I the last show I auditioned for and got into because Bat Boy the Musical got cancelled before they could cast it. The last show I got into was actually Joseph and I got the part of one of the brothers, but I never got named. We never got our parts because that tour got freaking cancelled uh. because the rights got pulled. Because there was meant to be a professional production coming, which never happened.
3: Alfie could just perform a few segments for you now, if you like.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You would have been the sneaky one. I would have been Benjamin. because I would have been the sneaky one who had the golden cup in his bag. Benjamin, yes. I was the smallest and the runtiest of the lot. (laughs) So, yes, I would have been him, which would have been all right. But anyways, yes. So we're going to do Heather's. The musical, which Lizzie had taken part in the West End workshops or the the London workshops when it was taken over there to sort of redo, because that happens sometimes. Things I've said it before: the alchemy of a situation. Sometimes things just don't work out. Things can be have potential, and then they need a bit of tweaking. So, Evan, mm. what did you think of this? And were you a fan of the movie? Well,
2: yeah, I think everyone's a fan of the movie, which is uh, of course the the nineteen eighty nine film. Bernardo Writer,
1: yep, a few others christian slater Shannon doherty christian yeah. slater
2: oh, of course yeah they all went on to be you know known It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> a <laughs> polite way to put it <laughs>
1: didn't
2: know <laughs> they grew into known people yeah i think it's a lot easier <laughs> knowing the story Yeah. see unfortunately as you mentioned we, we've just done mean girls and and you know the comparisons are pretty thick yeah and i, and I absolutely loved mean girls it was just so well done and unfortunately, this first listen through, I wasn't a big fan. And then I gave it like three more listens. I've listened to this at least four times in a row. i then compared it to the US Off-Broadway recording. And is, I love what British do when they go and do a new production of, a, of something that was originally American. Even though it's pretty much, as far as I can tell, word for word and even note for note. You just give it so much more oomph In just in general. It does sound like a different musical by having different people and 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 oh my god Carrie Hope Fletcher
1: she's amazing holy shit you are such a fangirl aren't you I am a fangirl from Cinderella that's my um heterosexual co-host ladies and gentlemen anyway so <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: she's awesome her voice is incredible yeah
1: I, I'm not doubting it at all I'm just teasing you because that's what I do Anyways. yes that girl's gonna go far yeah <laughs> like she <laughs> ain't already
3: so I basically did the workshop and then when that recording was done i was in another job so i didn't get to do it with carrie but i knew i do know carrie and she is just as lovely as she is talented and she's just also kind of this like incredible role model for people in our industry as well she's like really big on body positivity which is something that i'm also really passionate about last night she just won the what's on stage award for best female identifying performer so she's just smashing it at the moment. Like she's just a really, really amazing person in our industry. And I think it's really good for young people, fans to be growing up with someone quite normal and quite nice mm. in the industry. And yeah, she's just she's great, isn't she, Alfie? like really really good person
0: yeah sometimes it happens i mean i think in, in everything you do hear are oh, they're really good or but they're a nightmare you know they might be really talented or but they're a nightmare to work with or they're this or they're that or whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't think i've heard anyone say anything bad about carrie no. she's great yeah
2: anyway point was yeah i did i gave it the first listen i don't know it just didn't grab me um and i I listen again i've listened to it three more times um just if the west end copy and yeah it, it's one of those it grows on me it, it it really does. You've got, um, oh, what's the difference? Yeah. Okay. This has got listed blue. Now, blue, I know, got cut mm-hmm. in favour of something called You're Welcome, I think it was. Yeah. I don't know. Blue was kind of funny. It's a, it's a shame. I don't know. I don't like it when they cut songs out. I'm like, you know, stick with what you put out the first time. After seeing Vision, Dead Girl Walking was, oh, my God. <laughs> you do a bit of, you know, a bit of a sex scene on stage and the crowd just goes mental, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the big difference as well, is the British crowds. Jeez, they just, you've got to allow for them to,
1: to cheer. They don't stop, do they? Yeah, what's happening to <laughs> British crowds? Turning into American crowds. We're seeing it right before our yeah. eyes. I don't mean to judge, but I totally <laughs> mean to judge.
3: It's only for certain shows, I think. Heather's very, very quickly, like, turned into a massive halt show here. Right. And I personally had never experienced that before heathers but now there are quite a few like bat out of hell is exactly the same six and six yeah all those kinds of shows just have these like wild I guess they're called stands now who sort of like see the show hundreds of times and know all the (laughs) words and scream throughout and at least if you're joining a show as part of the cast like later on down the road you know what to expect but I can imagine that for the first few casts they must have been like what is happening (laughs)
1: yeah we've gone on about well i've gone on and on about the fans bringing that fan behavior that concert mentality into the theater where i've paid 130 dollars for a ticket sit the fuck down already but i'm too demure and shy and i'm not as much of a gobby bitch when i'm sitting in a theater with people so i'm not about to tell them to shut up (laughs) but i will complain about it on this show anyways yeah Um, but no, anyway, I love um (laughs) sorry, come on,
2: Oh yeah, yeah, it's Dead Girl Walking is really catchy, frees your brain for some reason, just gets stuck in your head. My dead gay son was funny as hell. I really like 17 for some reason. Just I don't know. I was 17 once, I guess. it it works. And of course, the other big funny one is of course kindergarten boyfriend, which is yours.
3: What I get to sing every day.
2: I know. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great song. It's got some big notes in it. Yeah, you get to show off, I'm sure. It's, it's It sounds like a fun one to sing. It is. But up, after giving it a good few listens and, and finding the good and listening to all the other stuff, yeah, I've, I've got to give it a four. Easy four. Wow. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. I, I really loved Mean Girls a little bit yeah. more. I can't remember what I gave Mean Girls. And it was really hard to not compare. It was really hard to not compare the two and, and take them as their own thing. But, yeah, no, I did. I ended up really liking this and, and getting songs stuck in my head. Yeah, even candy store gets stuck in my head and yeah humming it in the kitchen yeah
1: now you haven't heard carry the musical yet no i compared this heathers more to carry in sound than i did mean girls which i think has more of a pop sound i was
2: more because i only just listened to mean girls like last week yeah and it's a similar theme it's nothing musically They're t- musically they're very different no yeah. they're n- not
1: even close now I, I do yeah. like that the Martha character has been expanded from the film because she's really in the film just the butt of their jokes there's not too mm-hmm. much in the way of development but the film itself remember I said a couple of times about watching films with the sound down no sound no subtitles to see if you can tell what's happening in a story. And one thing I paid attention to this time, it is almost like a fever dream of a film. That it starts off with her in the grass. There's no linear setup. I mean, there's the narration, obviously, but it sort of jumps straight into it where they get her to sign the note and they pass it to her and things kick off straight away. So it it sort of has that weird fever dream feeling to it. Whereas the musical, the writers have expanded that story, given things a little bit more purpose or at least explained things a little bit. We have a bit more of a lead in before the note happens and things like that. Obviously got to fill out a musical, but that's what an adaptation should be. Is What I'm getting at is that, You should be taking the material and taking all the things you love, but not be fan service about it. The important things, put that in there and then build around that. That's what a great adaptation does. And that's what they did here. Now, the other thing I've gone on about at least once, I think on this show is street clothes on stage. Oh my God. Look at the history of street clothes in theater. And if you can look at a character wearing quote unquote street clothes and tell who they are, They did their job right. Those three heathers with that iconic the tartan, you know, blazer and the the tartan skirts or or dresses or whatever, that's iconic. So to build around that, give these characters an individual look. It doesn't really have it in the film. Well, JD kind of does so you can tell who he is, but and the, the heathers you can tell who they are. But this is the problem I have with modern theater is that. Addressing your characters to look real, like they're really on the street, is taking away the iconography of theatre. Full stop. You look at that little red dress with the white collars and cuffs. That's Annie. Straight away, you know that's Annie. Yeah, just a simple red dress. That's it. And even Christine Daae, a very simple white dress, but the way it is, the way it's designed, and with the hair, you know straight away who that is. So, and and there again, I.
2: I preferred the staging. Uh, the West End staging was, was again, so much better than the the off-Broadway. It's like, you know, we'll take your thing you've made and improve on it. You
0: know?
1: Lisa, now in terms of developing this, when you got the show, this was obviously a complete show. So what sort of responsibility did you take on with developing Martha?
3: It was really interesting for me because... I kind of first listened to Heather's when I was at uni so like yeah. 2015 would have been the first time I heard it and that's because one of my housemates was like oh my god I've just listened to this show you have to listen to it and I was obsessed with the soundtrack and so a couple of years later we, we basically have this like casting system in the UK called Spotlight and that's where all the castings go on to and your agent can see it and you can see it. And the casting came up and it said Martha Dunstock in Heather's. And I rang my agent, she's called Gina, she's amazing. And I was like, Gina, you don't understand. I have to play this part. She is me. I'm obsessed with the soundtrack. I've never begged for you to put me in for a role before, but I need you to ring them and be like okay I have a client and she's desperate to do it and anyway she got me an audition and this was like quite early on in my career that I didn't really like have that many connections of casting directors and stuff and I made a tape for it in my flat my housemate helped me do it and I wore this really ugly jumper which I still own which has like a lovely like train mural on it which I got from a vintage shop and I did the tape and I remember I was walking through Covent Garden in London on a Saturday and my agent was ringing me and I was like, why is she ringing me on a Saturday? This is really weird. And she rang and she was like, Lizzie, you've got Heather's. And I was just so overwhelmed because it was kind of like the first big commercial thing that I was doing. I was like, oh, this is a big deal. Like a lot of people are going to want to come and see it and be a part of it and all that kind of stuff and we basically did two weeks at the other palace where I'm now doing it but we did it in the studio downstairs and we had the full original creative team so Andy Fickman the director Larry O'Keefe who did music and lyrics and then Kevin Murphy who wrote the book and wrote some of the lyrics as well and effectively they just wanted to iron out things that hadn't necessarily worked off Broadway you know they had massive success off Broadway, but it never made it to Broadway. I don't think they necessarily were like, oh, well, if we bring it to the UK, it's going to go to the West End. But Paul Taylor Mills, who was running The Other Palace at the time, loved Heathers and basically was begging them to bring it to the UK. And he wanted to help work on it. And so when you were talking about Blue earlier, that was like a massive change that they did by removing that song. And the main reason for that is that Blue had a lot of feedback that it was kind of promoting that kind of college culture where boys are preying on girls in a certain way. And so when they brought in Your Welcome, it's kind of like turning that on its head and making sure that Veronica wins at the end of that song. And kind of making sure that she remains that strong female mm. force throughout the show, I think. So that was like a big thing. And obviously at the time we were all like, oh, but we love Blue, but we understood and, and all that kind of thing. There weren't huge changes to it. Every production that ever happens of Heathers, they make some changes to it. So even in my production, it's been running in London for four years now. We've changed the occasional lyric or the occasional line in the script. But yeah, when I did that workshop, it was basically just ironing out things that they hadn't been particularly happy with. And then I also think seeing the response to it, I think we did three or four showings and it was completely sold out. We'd have fans wanting us to sign things. And I don't think the Americans had any clue at that point that there was already a massive fan base for it here and it was just the most incredible experience I've ever had like I think however long my career ends up being I think that will always be the job where I think oh that's like when it started for me and I got to be a part of that and it was just really special and so getting to do the show full scale now has just been amazing to see how it's grown from doing it in you know that black box studio theatre downstairs and it's just amazing and Martha's such an incredible character and getting to do it at like four years older as well I think I kind of am seeing it in a different way as well as an actor so it's just great I love it
1: yep and yeah the world is filled with a lot more sociopaths at the moment
3: <laughs> yeah than what it
2: was
1: four years ago it feels like yeah <laughs> yeah
3: well, that's the
2: thing I was going to bring up with with a show like Heather's and there's there's so much you know questionable content that has somehow survived please leave it <laughs> and they're, they're dealing with with subjects that <laughs> subjects that you know come in and out, out of, of favor and uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's terms in there. I'm like, oh, really? Can you still say that? You know? Yeah, well, in context, yes, you can.
1: Yeah. Um, they're not nice characters. Yeah, it's, it's backed up by they're not nice people. Yeah. Even Veronica, who's the hero we're rooting for even she's not that nice or she wouldn't have mm. gotten involved in all that to begin with she wouldn't have agreed to have signed yeah she betrayed martha definitely they're all sociopaths it's a dark comedy the answer is right there it's not you're not laughing at fluffy things i'm more the bullying yeah concepts and the
2: name calling horrible things i got that yeah, i just don't know if it would get made
1: now oh no it it, it wouldn't <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I wouldn't, but I don't (laughs) think we should be looking at films or musicals or music or anything and judging that art judge the time of which that art is commenting on because art no matter when it's made it could be made in say 1960 but it's about the 1800s it's a comment on the 1960s using the 1800s that is what artists do they comment on the present day using whatever means inspires them so anyways well I think we could have tipped a cow somewhere in there and the cow tipping, yes. Um, I yeah, it would
2: have been nice to see a cow get knocked over. That would that would have been hilarious.
1: That would have been funny, a whole musical dance
2: number and you could have had the, the ensemble come well, out. It doesn't even out. have to be a number, just literally a, a two-second cow comes over, falls over. It's musical no. theatre, Evan. What are you talking about? It doesn't need to be an over-the-top number. Just a side gag of the cow falling over. That would have been
1: great. Yeah, but no. can't. nod a, to the fans. A lead up there. But anyways, we're going to move on quickly because we are running out of time. G'day, listeners. Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of the toniston tales a darkly funny aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water written by me the village idiot of thrash and treasure you'll come to love toniston turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way and here is a sneak peek After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before, not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. "'Are you awake?' Toniston whispers." Oh, how can i sleep in this place polly moans turning onto her side and facing toniston who stays on his back imagining obscure animalesque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches we need to work out a way to get out of here toniston states the obvious he whispers despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be how there's no fence to squeeze through or even climb polly replies sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms the hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air i don't know but i think the whole fighting thing is a distraction you mean to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive no i-i think that was just bad timing didn't you notice toniston goes on to explain his theory that fight happened everybody gathered around I didn't see one person who wasn't watching, and then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost... happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows, as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins. But both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own equally uncomfortable one, spotting a large white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground, Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. "'Come,' he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony, and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that... spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontails.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! We're back with Thrash and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by Lizzie B and Alfie Parker from London's West End. Okay, now, firstly, quickly, what is your worst earworm song that gets stuck in your head?
3: What do we always sing? Do you know? Is this anything? I feel like yeah. the song that we always sing to each other, and this is so rogue. Yeah. Macho Man by the Village People. Cool. We <laughs> sing that around the house constantly because <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have it on my playlist, and Alfie does a little dance to it, don't you, Alfie? It's true.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Sadly, we don't use the video, so the listeners out there will be correct of that. <laughs> Uh, now as you got lucky Yep. a a question (laughs) for both of you again as both of your stars grow brighter what concerns you most about quote-unquote fame
3: I mean I don't have Instagram which is a uh, like a conscious choice Mm -hmm. from me I have Facebook which is like for my family and like my mum's friends who like to keep up with my life and then I have Twitter which is like my professional thing And I'm always more than happy to interact with people, but I'm also very conscious of setting boundaries. I think the thing that like concerns me is the whole lack of boundaries, I would say, that some people in our industry have with the fans. I get that for some people, it's like validation. They might not have had And maybe on your first job, it's really exciting that people are messaging you and they want to send you things and they want to call you or chat to you all the time. But I think where Alfie and I are very similar is that that's our job. We go to work, we do our job, we go home, and then we switch off and we have a normal life outside of it. And we do this job because we love it and we're good at it and we like being on the stage and having that thrill where we also like switching off. So I think, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how these sort of fan interactions grow, because some people, I would say, do take it a bit too far. Alfie, would you agree?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Lizzie and I are in very different parts in our, you know, parts in our career, and Lizzie with Hairspray especially, she kind of became this this name, albeit the show was on for a brief time, you know, Lizzie was kind of, you know, a uh, dish of the day. Uh, everyone, everyone had heard of Lizzie, you know, and right, rightfully so, because she's amazing. But you just worry, you hear these stories of people that after the show will sit opposite you on the tube and get off on the same stop and all of that. And it's, a, it's just a bit weird. It's strange. And people, as Lizzie says, you know, we do the show and I love saying hello to you at Stage Door, but that, that doesn't mean that we are, we're friends. You know, you don't, p- people don't pay to watch the show to then also give you a big hug and a big kiss at stage door. It's entirely up to the per- to, to the actual the person that comes out. It's completely their choice if they want to. But I just, sometimes I worry that people get very attached because shows like Heather's have this massive following and people do watch shows 25 times. People think they know you, you know,
2: mm. Yeah, that's, that's a hard one when the, the fans are just so wrapped up in the character and the person and just, yeah, they don't they don't stop to think that, you know, you, you, you're you doing a job. You, you're paid to do a job and you do it well. And Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. I've said it before. The fans feel like now that they own the materials that they love. And it started with things like Harry Potter or Buffy or those two things that I like personally. But just things that if you were to say to people. Two things you own. Well, if you say to someone, do you like this, Sig? It's like, yeah, it got me through high school. And there's that sentimentality attachment to it that then it feels like it controls a part of their life or it's responsible for a part of their being. And it puts a, a thing of ownership into them. Like they're allowed to talk to the actors involved in it however they want because... That's their favorite thing. And they're allowed to follow someone into a freaking taxi to get an autograph because it's their favorite actress. Don't fucking care who you are. I don't care what your favorite thing is. Have some decorum. That's what it is. It's come down to fans feeling like they own something. And then when someone will go and say something incredibly wrong and stupid like JK Rowling has, you're going to have either people neglecting their own morals to defend her, or burning all their books to get rid of it because it's let them down. Mm -hmm. That thing that they clung to so much has suddenly let them down and so they want to get it out of their lives. It's mental. And to use the word stands I think is really, really weird because have we not heard that song? He (laughs) literally kills his wife and puts her in the car and drives the car over because his favourite person wouldn't respond. That's not something to brag about being. I'm sorry. That's just me. <laughs> but anyways, I could go on about that. Now, if you were to do a show together as leads, but gender swap the parts, <laughs> what show would you do? And not Sweeney Todd, because everyone's going to say Sweeney Todd. <laughs> Everyone says Sweeney Todd. <laughs> like everything. Or Sunday in the Park with George. Always one of those two. <laughs> oh, that would be a good one. Maybe, yes, but I've put it out there now.
3: Oh my god! What
0: I'm trying to think.
3: I mean, we love parade, don't we? So maybe parade. Yeah, we do love parade. We do yeah. love that. Or I don't know if we were going to do like a cheesy show. I don't know what.
0: I'd do Greece. I'd, I'd enjoy that. Oh, I
3: love Greece. I think you'd be a lovely I sandy, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. I'd enjoy being sandy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you might have to shave. I'm just, dying. You could, could do hairspray. Alfie, you'd be able to play a male Tracy.
3: Oh, definitely.
1: And Lizzie, you could play the dad as opposed to the mum. Oh, my God. And just gender swap the parts. Why not? That like fun. that would work as well.
3: We should do it. Let's
0: do it. Let's do it now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, Alfie, one for you. I know you had reservations taking on Samuel Bick. I hope I'm saying that right, or it's Bike, Bick, whatever, because uh, of the monologuing. And I know Evan has an issue with me monologuing too, uh, (laughs) but with that role, was there more of a feeling of reckless abandon than usual? Because he is quite
0: crazy. Mm, Absolutely. For me, it's the favorite. It's probably the favorite job I've ever done, and the most important, I would say, in my kind of my career as an actor as well as a person. (laughs) It's kind of a big stepping stone for me. I purely at at the start, I I looked at that job as an exercise because I was rubbish at monologues and was like given an opportunity and I have to do it. And the moment I fully let myself go, the guy was interesting, to say the least, You, you know, it's a confused person. And I have in my family some history of, you know, including myself with 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 mental health and everyone has mental health. and It goes up and down. And Sam Bick, you know, also had that. And every show, every time I did that monologue, it was different. And I rehearsed it so much that I wasn't thinking about what I was saying. And as an actor, I I can put my hands up and say that, you know, the monologue wasn't perfect every time. And sometimes in the heat of the moment, I would kind of maybe put a sentence in the wrong place and then come back to it. But I loved it. And I think if anyone else gets the opportunity, you have to just let the character take over. I felt like I felt like I was I was I was like a vessel for that information because granted what he did and what everyone in that show did is bizarre and not necessarily the right thing to do in their minds it was for him that's who he was that's what he had to do I loved it yeah there's
1: nothing more dangerous than a man who thinks he's right when he's wrong shout out to Putin. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: After the BLM movement, the Black Lives Matter movement caught wind again in 2020, when you were meant to have done Hairspray, when you eventually got to the part and and to do the show, did you approach it any differently now that you had personally lived through such an explosive?
3: Yeah, 100%. You know, you couldn't not let that be part of your consciousness when, especially doing I Know Where I've Been and Marisha Wallace, who played Motormouth, is not just an incredible performer, but an incredible human being. She's very intelligent, very passionate, very aware. And our creatives were amazing. And we sat down as a cast. So I was very lucky with Tracy because I got to interact with everyone in that cast. Obviously, one of the huge like subject matters is segregation. And so a lot of the time it would be the nicest kids characters and then the motor mouth characters and they'd be completely separate. but anytime the motormouth mouth characters were having these very important discussions in rehearsals that our creatives managed beautifully I got to be a part of it and listen to people in my cast tell their stories and it was incredibly moving and actually, as part of that, there were rewrites that were made to the show as well. So some of the um, material from the film or from the last time it was on in London got changed. Um, So one of the big changes was in You Can't Stop the Beat, Marisha sang um, and it sees both white and black um, instead. Um, And the first time that Marisha sang, I know where I've been in rehearsals. I've never seen so many tears in a rehearsal room. Like, I think after all the discussions that we'd had, it was just this very, like, cathartic moment. Um, and also on our last ever show, we were all just in floods of tears. And the, the blocking, the official blocking went out the window And we all just, I remember, stood in this circle and held hands and cried and just thought, how lucky are we to be doing this show at this time? And that song pretty much got a standing ovation every single performance. And I think people just needed it at that point. And of course, it's like, it's slightly worrying because... You know, we're telling a story set in the 60s and not a lot has changed. And I think that would go through people's heads quite a lot. But I just think like the world needed hairspray at the time we did it. And I feel very lucky that I got to be a part of telling that story for people at that time. So, yeah, it was an amazing experience to get to do that after BLM.
1: As someone who's grown up with Hairspray since I was four years old, the original movie, the world always needs that movie and that message.
3: Yeah, I know.
1: Now, Alfie, when you eventually, one day, hopefully you get to begin teaching, what's going to be your number one rule in the classroom?
0: Oh, I'm going to say strong and wrong, which is something I was taught.
1: Yeah, strong and wrong
0: strong and wrong i think you know it's the only way we learn isn't it as people make mistakes um so do it strong do it proud with a big smile on your face yeah and then uh hopefully you won't do it again
1: that's it that's what i always say isn't it evan that the only thing funnier than a joke that lands is a joke that fails spectacularly (laughs) yeah go big or go home yeah now lizzie you've performed in melbourne And London and America as well. So what are the differences between the communities that you noticed?
3: Australia, I would say, is really relaxed and we were looked after so well. Like, I think they were incredibly grateful that we were there doing a show and I just loved the atmosphere. I loved that you guys have such a focus around hospitality, which is something that we're a bit crap at in the UK. Yeah, so that's what I loved there the UK it's just kind of like I don't know like I've doing Hairspray was my West End debut and like that was such a massive thing for me and getting to do a show in the West End was just like a massive tick and working with people like Michael Ball who is just an absolute icon Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to do that anywhere else America I always say that their work ethic is incredible they take the work very seriously And because the talent pool is so big, you know that you are working with like the best of the best for Americans to be in a Broadway show. They have to be the like creme de la creme of the, you know, theatrical industry there. I made incredible friends doing it there. And we also got really, really well looked after in Atlanta when I worked there. So
1: Southern hospitality.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just different approaches to the work. Yeah, but very lucky to have worked in all those different places and kind of experienced that.
1: Yeah, awesome. Uh, home and away or neighbors?
3: Neighbors every time.
1: <laughs> Good, you can stay. Okay, Evan.
2: <laughs> all the important stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, Alfie, with you. I was. I heard you on another podcast talking about your work with, um, you know, assisted living carers and and like taking. You do. You run some of, uh, part of an organization that that you know uh, uh, take you know. Uh, people in need to, you know, take them out and just get them out of the house, get them doing something um, as, as a parent of, I have a child with uh, cerebral palsy um, uh, quite severe. So he's not, you know, he's in a wheelchair um, and, um, you know, we have carers uh, with, there's a carer actually out there now with him. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we rely on them really. We've only just in this last year, got them, Um you know, so I've had to do everything myself, you know. And when I came along, um, you know, the, I I haven't told Aaron this. I, I met my wife on on a, a dating app, and and it said, you know, I have a child with CP. And I'm like, oh yeah, whatever, you know, didn't really think that much of it. Um, and he was like seven years old at the time, so I could just I could just pick him up, move him around, no problems. But you know, over the last seven years, he's he now weighs more than me, um, and and I still pick him up, and you know, there's. Um, and we have issues when going out with, um, you know, most venues, they'll have wheelchair access, they'll have wheelchair seating, all that kind of thing. Um, whereas, and then you get like movie theatres that won't. And, you know, I literally just have to carry him up the stairs, unless you're going to, you know, sit right up the front. And, and But no one wants to sit in the front row of a freaking movie. And, you know, we've, we've gone behind the scenes in, in monasteries and stuff, and it's like a spiral staircase. And I've, I carried him up there, God knows how. But, um, but yeah, so, with, uh, so the question is, so, so what you do is fantastic and, and the organisations you're part of are fantastic. They're so needed. You know, we can actually go out of the house now after, after many years of not being able to, um, you just can't. We both work full-time, he's full-time, you know, you know what it's like. Anyway, with so, with so much advocacy breaking through, um, how, how are the theatres adapting to people with disabilities uh, now that they're all reopening? um
0: do do they do a decent job is what i want to know i do you know what from my from my personal experience i think so i think so and as um i know a lot of pantomimes i've done uh, and and some shows do relaxed performances if you've heard of that phrase um where the house lights are left on um a lot of the special effects maybe toned down a bit and it's for people um who have learning disabilities or, um, you know, special needs, just to adjust the show slightly. And I think shows in general are doing a very good job. Um, Sometimes, um, so so my brother's autistic as well, uh, quite, quite severely autistic. And he always, nine times out of 10, comes to watch the show that I'm doing. And he'll sit in the front row and he's a six foot four guy weighs 20 odd stone and he conducts the show from the front row next to my mum and I always tell everyone I'm like just in case if, if if you see a guy that looks like me but even bigger than me and I'm a big man um conducting the show that's my brother and it's it's always love it's always a love and everyone is so caring and attentive and for me that's why I do it I think theatre should be accessible for anyone I don't care who you are and I think If you get a response from someone, nine times out of 10 relaxed performances, they're some of the best audiences you have because there's no no reservations, there's no quiet audiences. They're going for it, they love it. Uh, And I think theater is becoming a lot more inclusive as it should do anyway.
2: In, in relation to, you know, things like parking and access as well, because, I mean, yeah, they provide these things. They provide ACROD. We have ACRODs. Um, they provide disabled parking. They provide, you know, ramps and that kind of thing. But so often the ramp's too damn steep. The parking's all gone. Uh, yeah. You know, the, 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 there's not enough seating. You know, the, yeah, we've got, you know, six spots. And It's like, yeah, but they sell out in two seconds flat.
0: You know, I think... I guess looking at from looking at it from else, as in the building, a lot of theatres are old, mm,
3: historical buildings,
0: yeah. and I feel like that needs that needs to change. Mm. I feel like you know, get <laughs> make some make some real changes to accessibility.
3: There's an amazing um, activist on Twitter. I think her Twitter handle is Shona Louise Blogs. Um, And she is a theatre writer and fan in the UK. And she is a wheelchair user. Um, I'd really recommend looking at her stuff. She did a big campaign last year when Six moved to the West End because the theatre had no wheelchair access. And she wrote to the owner of the theatre. And a lot of changes were made. And she's doing a lot of activism in terms of wheelchair access in West End theatres. Oh,
2: nice.
3: Um, She does a lot of, like, theatre photography as well. Um, I was part of an open letter that she wrote to uh, theatre producers in the West End to try and improve wheelchair access and toilets and all that kind of stuff. So um, mm-hmm. there is definitely work being done, which is amazing to see as well.
2: Yeah, it's such a shame just in the general community as well. Like we went, uh, we went camping, but, you know, we went to the local shop and there was stairs either side and then a ramp. So there's no way you could get to the ramp. Um, that went to the bakery no ramp you know went down the other shop no ramp this or without a car you weren't getting down that ramp because it was literally like 15 degrees was mental Uh, yeah there's so much more that needs to be done It's, Mm it's amazing once you start looking around that businesses really aren't adhering
1: to the things they're supposed to nope and a lot of people are in wheelchairs not just older people yeah and that's the thing oh, that yeah. I think there's the attitude that oh it's just the old. They're gonna be dead soon anyways. No, it's not just the freaking old for crying out loud. <laughs> Grow up. <laughs>
0: but anyways,
1: it has been amazing having you guys on. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank
3: you for having us. We've loved it.
0: Yeah, it's been awesome. And if 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 we ever come to your neck of the woods, I wanna make sure I wanna make sure that I give you both a big hug. <laughs> yes, awesome. Yes. I,
1: good, because it has been a long time since a big bearded man gave me a hug, Alfie. <laughs> It's stuck in lockdown. But anyways, just quickly, because um, I know you're going to go, just where can people find you on the social medias?
3: Um, so I am at Lizzie B3 on Twitter.
1: I, I am at Parker Alfie. Yep, and you're both on Twitter, not Instagram, I believe. I have Instagram.
3: Alfie does Instagram. Um,
0: if anyone has any questions for Lizzie, you just messed it through me. <laughs> yeah, no worries.
1: That was the other thing I had seen when I was looking up to to find a good photo of you for the poster. Was a very young photo where you were so you had hair and you just looked so baby face. And I looked at, I'm like, is that him? Like, is that this? And I'm looking <laughs> yeah, at. Yeah, oh, I did that too. Yeah, yeah, and I'm looking at the two photos. So I'm like, hang on. And I'm covering over the hair, and I'm like, I couldn't tell. I really couldn't tell. Even like. To... <laughs>
0: It's been a rough couple of years.
1: It has been a rough couple of years. <laughs> but, no. but anyways, to you guys at home, you take care and we shall see you next
0: time. Huro. Awesome.
3: Thank you. It's been amazing. <laughs>
0: Honestly, it's, it's been great. I've loved it. Yeah.
2: Oh dear, thank you so much for the
0: word.